You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast brought to you by Tacticamp. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State, and I am your host, Josh Raley. We've got a fantastic episode coming up for you today. Uh, I caught up with Mike from Fly All Season. Now, if you've watched any uh, fly fishing stuff on YouTube, you've probably come across Mike's content. It is fantastic. He fly fishes all over the place from the Appalachian Mountains uh, to out west in New Mexico and Idaho and even right here in the Driftless. Mike was a, a fantastic guest. I highly recommend you go over and check out all of Mike's content. He's putting out great stuff all the time. The guy is a machine. He just, uh, man, I think you'll be inspired by this episode that we've got today. We get into all kinds of things. Uh, fly fishing, obviously, we talk about. We talk about content creation. We talk about fitness and the role that that plays in his fly fishing and how we can relate that back to hunting. So just a great episode coming up. Also recommend you head over and check out Mike's website, flyallseason.com. That's S-Z-N for season. And also he's got a fantastic discord. There are like 700 people on there helping each other out, talking about fly fishing. And uh, yeah, it's an awesome community that he is building. Now I'm going to keep this introduction pretty short. I've got some stuff going on here. Uh, I've mentioned on Instagram already, we're getting ready to sell our house and we've got photos being taken here in just a little bit. So I've got to get out of the studio and out of the house so that uh, the photographer can come in and get these pictures done. But before I can leave, I do want to take a moment to thank our partners. First of all, Tacticam, the title sponsor of this show. These guys are absolutely killing it when it comes to cameras and camera accessories. It's time to get the trail cameras back out, guys, so we can watch the antler development over the next couple of months. 
Tacticam is running a sale right now. You can get two of their Tacticam Reveal X cameras for just $199. That's two high-quality cell cameras for right at $200. That is a screaming hot deal on these cameras. Head over to their website and check it out. They've also just come out with their Reveal X Gen 2 cameras, which provide fantastic video and photo quality. Also, as I've said, uh, this past spring, I was using their 5.0 and 5.0 wide cameras. Those are great cameras as well. Um, I was using them to film my turkey hunts. You can get 4K footage. They're super simple to use. They've even got a mount for your bow that fits right where the stabilizer would be. That's what I'm going to be running this fall. And I'm also starting to look into their FTS system, which allows you to film through the scope. I'm going to be doing quite a bit of rifle hunting this fall down in the south. And so I'm going to be uh, hopefully looking into that FTS and getting that set up on my rifle. You can go check them out, www.tacticam.com. Big thanks to those guys for being our title sponsor here at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Also want to talk about Deer Lab. It is a trail camera photo management software, but it is so, so much more. You can tag specific deer to put your game plan together. You can sync local weather to your photos so you can figure out, okay, what wind direction does this buck like or or on what weather patterns does that buck come through here you can also use it to filter photos like uh, if you want to just see the deer you want to just see the turkeys or you want to just see people maybe you're like maybe you're monitoring an access trail and you're like i want to see how many people are coming through here well deer lab lets you uh lets you do all of that lets you sort of filter your photos so you can whittle down exactly what it is that you're looking for. Also, what I really love about it is it keeps storage and organization simple. I don't have to store all the photos in different files on my computer. You just upload it all right there to your Deer Lab account. They've been kind enough to give us a promo code for this podcast. You can get 20% off of any plan by just entering the code Wisconsin. And I'm really excited too. I think I'm recording uh, tomorrow actually with John from Deer Lab. So we're going to get to hear in more detail all the great benefits of Deer Lab. So go check them out. And then finally, I want to introduce to you uh, a new partner for the show. And before I do this, I just want to say I don't take adding partners lightly. My goal is to partner with brands that provide a ton of value for you guys as the listener. Because without all of you and without your support, this podcast isn't going to be able to keep happening. So I have partnered now with Huntworth. They produce high quality clothing. Uh, I've been really impressed by the quality of their gear. I've been wearing the Durham lightweight pants around the house for like the last week, and holy cow, they are super comfortable. They are really versatile. They're lightweight, even with the warmer temperatures. These pants uh, keep me cool and keep me going when I'm outside. They're going to be great for summer scouting, for fishing, for hiking, whatever it is you like to do. I really love those pants. They've got some great camo patterns also. Uh, I'm using the Tarnan personally. Uh, their disruption pattern is also really great. And, uh, but what I think I'm going to be doing is running the Tarnan pattern earlier in the season and then swapping over to the disruption as the leaves begin to fall and things become a little more gray outside. If you're looking for a good Father's Day gift, do yourself a favor. Head over to their website. Look at their Shelton hoodie. This has very quickly become, I think, my favorite piece of camo gear. In fact, I'm wearing the Shelton hoodie right now. It has a face mask built right into the hood. It's lightweight, so you can wear it. It's a cool June morning today. And so, you know, one of those that you might want to have a little extra something more than a t-shirt. And this thing is keeping me cool and comfortable here this morning. Uh, the hoodie is also less than a hundred bucks. And so a uh, wonderful Father's Day present. Right now, they've actually got a 20% off deal for Father's Day. Just use the code DAD20 for 20% off. So you'll get this hoodie for uh, 80 bucks, which is a, a, a fantastic deal. 
So go support our partners. Big, big thanks to them for helping us keep this show going. Also, you can help this show out by uh, doing all the things, right? Follow us on social media, Facebook, which I'm terrible at using, Instagram, at the Wisconsin Sportsman. Follow along with everything that we're doing. Share these episodes with friends that might uh, dig what we're doing here, that might like these episodes. That helps us out a ton. Word of mouth is definitely the number one way that people find out about this podcast. So if you would, share these episodes on social media. And last but not least, you can leave us a five-star review if you like what we're doing here at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. That helps us out by uh, telling the algorithms, hey, this is a good podcast. People should go and check this out. Now, with all that stuff out of the way, let's get right into the show with Mike from Fly All Season. Joining me for today's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Mike from Fly All Season. What's going on, man? Howdy. How's it going? Going pretty good. Going pretty good. What are you uh, What are you up to today? You're not on a... You're not out on a creek somewhere, are you? Uh, no, not today, but I will be later this afternoon. I'm uh, sitting over on the Iowa side, kind of in the southern. I think Elgin is the closest little town. Ooh, I, the Iowa right side. I no. know, <laughs> I know, I know. But hey, I will be on the Wisconsin side quite a bit this month, so I'm going to get on all the good Blue Ribbon tree streams over there. It's going to be It's going to be great. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how, how long are you spending in the Driftless area here over the next little bit? Yeah, so I've got about a month. So I got here last weekend, and I'll be staying here until like the 26th. So throughout the weekends and some of the weekdays, I've got so many different plans, you know, all throughout the Wisconsin, the Iowa, and the Minnesota side because all the Driftless matters. It doesn't matter the state lines, but... <laughs> Well, some of it just matters a little more than others, but but yes, it all matters. Yes. It does all matter. <laughs> I will say the Wisconsin side, it holds a very, very special spot in my heart because uh, I think it was about a year ago I left Madison, Wisconsin. So I was just through work and, you know, the normal humdrum of the nine to five. Uh, my company moved me around all over the place. So I landed in Madison, Wisconsin for two years. And I mean, I had so much time to explore and this month-long trip in the Driftless is kind of a redemption tour of sorts, kind of uh, rekindling those old memories and trying to, yeah, dig up that Driftless magic, man. Heck yeah, man. Dude, there's a lot of good fishing right around Madison. Oh, it is incredible. I have a, a good buddy of mine. He taught me the ways of the, the weeknight fishing adventure because in my mind, it's like, I'm a weekend warrior. I can't go out and do fishing adventures but when the sun doesn't set until like nine o'clock he's like no 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 kid i got you come on let's go <laughs> so i mean yeah an hour outside of madison we're finding some of the i mean realistically some of the best fishing in the wisconsin side like it's it's insane like i'm, I'm surprised more people aren't out there well i mean like every dang day so yeah it's awesome yeah man it, it's been really good i i don't really like to name drop creeks but if you um if you're in the madison area and Google anything about fly fishing. This one's going to come up. If you walk into a fly shop in the area, they're going to tell you to go here. But the Black Earth, did you ever fish Black Earth Creek? You know, I the lore of Black Earth Creek was always there, but that's one of the main reasons that I didn't like it. I like the kind of out-of-the-way spots, the, the spots where you've got to kind of uh, bushwhack, hike into, think outside the box to access the public land and stuff. So I went there once. Got a couple fish. Um, I think it was like right behind that gas station. Uh, as you're going, what's that town? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, you, you know what it's, it's, um, yeah, it wasn't the most beautiful section, but I also heard it was either, I think it was a big flood that had come through in like 2018 or 2019 and really kind of changed the watershed. So 
that was another reason why, I, you know, I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this, but I did a lot of fishing on the tributaries of the Black Rose system. And that's, I mean, a boatload of fun. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, right uh, in that same area too. That, that town is Cross Plains. Uh, yeah, cross plane. Yes, yeah. Yeah, dude, oh, I, f- I fished a ton right behind that little gas station, man, and caught, yeah. like, I can't believe with the pressure that Black Earth Creek gets, how good the fishing can still be. Well, relative to, I would say, an urban city sprawl with, like, as far as Madison, and then, like, residential areas and, and commercial areas, it, it is, I mean, come on, you can go get a beer at the local restaurant or the local tavern and then go fish. I mean, it, it is pretty amazing and that's um not to be too pluggy here but i've been all over the place and the iowa dnr they are like the poster child they do it right their management styles and the way that they kind of work with ag and like communities and commercial they they're very very good about maintaining those watersheds and like the overall health of like the fish stock it's it's pretty incredible yeah man i mean iowa iowa's got it going on you all you got to do i mean look at their trout fishing look at their turkey hunting look at their deer hunting like they just, they know that they are the place to go and yeah, and they it, do it right it, when it comes incredible. to management. So, well, man, I, I got to tell you, I didn't, I didn't drop this in uh, when we were talking off air just a minute ago, but I got to say, I found your channel when I was first moving to Wisconsin because I didn't know what was here. So I was like, you know, can you fly fish for trout in Wisconsin? And your stuff came up. And That's so awesome. you, I, you, you were literally my introduction to the driftless. You're kidding me. No, man. Nope. Oh my God. You were my introduction what? to the driftless. That's a crime. My shrill voice <laughs> screaming about trout. What a nightmare that must've been. No dude, it got me fired up, man. I was like, <laughs> heck yes. This is the place that I'm moving to. I was like, wait a second. He's like an hour and a half from where I'm going to live. Like this is amazing. Yeah. So, well, and I mean, it extends so far and wide and then, the just like the quantity and quality it's what you might have seen is like scraping the surface like i've barely even like we're looking at the very tip top of the iceberg as the titanic's running by it's like oh wow there's so much else underneath this it's oh my gosh yeah it's incredible yeah yeah well all right so before we jump in too far down the road of fishing what does a day in the life look like man because as i'm following along with you um on social media and stuff i'm like holy cow, like what, what does this dude do and where in the oh, world man. is he? Because you're, you're literally everywhere. Like I move up here and then all of a sudden, boom, you're not here. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought, I thought, <laughs> I thought this guy was doing driftless stuff. And now he's like, I think for a while you were, were you in Georgia for a bit? I did do a trip down to Georgia. Okay. okay. That was just kind of a one-off winter trip. But, gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah, man. It, um, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm writing this weird um, corporate, good boy slash vagabond dirtbag life. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm an enigma. It's very strange, but the, the normal day in the life of Mike, um, I'm up at three. I'm usually slamming coffee. That's when I get my edits done. So from like three to six, that's when I'm crushing edits, voiceovers, managing the social, managing the YouTube, all that good good stuff. And then, um, usually I start work around six. I, I do have a normal nine to five. I know there's a lot, I, I get asked a lot. I guess I, I seemingly play too much because everyone's always asking, do you have a full-time job? How are you doing this? <laughs> so, you know, I'll, uh, I, right now I'm working remote, so I do have a lot of flexibility with my hours and it's really, um, kind of just 
if my work is done, then my work is done. There's no like, you know, there's not the man sitting over saying, all right, kiddo, sitting there until 5 p.m. and then you can go home. So, um, yeah, say what you want about modern working schedules. It, this is one nice thing that probably came out of the pandemic was the, um, I guess, the, the move towards more remote. But anyway, any hoodles. After that, I'm working out like a madman. I think uh, for me, my physical health along with nutrition is very important. So I'm always trying to push the limits of what it, what I can do because right now I'm in the drift list and there, there, there aren't a whole lot of mountains out here. I mean, there's some steep hills. I'll give it that. But my main love is backcountry fly fishing in the mountains. So I'm always using the carrot of high elevation, 60 pounds on my back with, you know, five more miles to go as my motivation to yeah, do one more set, do a couple more miles. Um, and then, yep, you know, I'm, I'm back on the edits after the workout. So from like uh, six to seven, 8 PM. And then I, I always try to wind down through stretching, meditating out here. I'm, I'm living on my buddy's farm for the time being. And so I'll sit on his roof and watch the sunset, which kind of rocks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you cannot beat a, like a Midwest sunset. That's something, you know, in my travels being in the West, the Southwest, it's beautiful, big sky country. It's nice, but my God, you cannot be a Midwest sunset, man. So no, yeah, then I tough. usually, I, I, things start to shut down around nine, 10 PM, sometimes 11 if I'm really pushing hard and uh, yeah, wake up in the morning, start all over again. <laughs> man, I, you know, a lot of people don't, they just don't see that side, right. Of, of content production of, yes. you know, 95% of the people that you see out there producing content still have day jobs. And so yeah. what that means, is, and, and a lot of them have families too. And so what that means is if they're producing high quality content and they're doing it at three to six o'clock in the morning, or they're doing it, you know, after the kids go to bed or after the friends leave or after the girlfriend leaves or what, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, it, it's something, I mean, sleep is the one thing you can sacrifice, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and still live a normal yeah. human life kind of. And that, I'll be the first one to admit I've been there, done that. I've had, you know, girlfriends throughout this whole thing, uh, you know, trying to manage family, you know, personal relationships with friends. I mean, it, it is a, it's a, it's a tough, tough thing to balance. And that's, that's the key is balance. You got to find it. So, yeah, man, well, I yeah. gotta say your quality of content never suffers, dude. Like you do a fantastic job. I, you know what? I, um, my, my discipline when I, you know, went to college, I was a business kid. Like I was like, you know what? I'll just, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know any better. I was 18. I got, who's supposed to know what they want to do at 18. So yeah. I went in doing, doing business supply chain. And I figured I'd be in some warehouse, you know, crunching numbers or in some big stuffy office. And yeah, now I found this new passion that offers kind of a, a new avenue because I don't know. I've been fly fishing for a long time, but then adding this storytelling element and then having this new tool of video as my expression and just constantly trying to make it better and tell a better story. Cause I mean, some of my first videos, it, it's just like, cool. You can see the progression in it where it's like my first ever video. I'm like, wow, that sucked. And then the last one I just dropped, I'm like, that didn't suck as bad. <laughs> so the next <laughs> one is just kind of, you know, keep, keeps getting better. I love the progression and like physically being able to see your progress. It's, it's really satisfying. Yeah, man. So let, let's jump into your channel just a little bit. So yeah, um, sure. I, I want to hear about kind of the origins 
what got you started and like what what's keeping you going because i mean like you said it's a lot of work man yes so oh boy bear with me buckle up folks if you're out there listening let's do it we got time (laughs) so um i have been fly fishing for a long 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 time and i don't know why fly fishing kind of pulls this out of you but there's certain certainly like a romantic or a poetic view of it in certain senses. And there's a lot of like great literature and even films that come out of this weird thing, flinging fur and feathers on metal to trick fish. It's so strange, but it, it just pulls it out of folks. And so growing up, I would keep a fishing journal. Like when I was really starting to get into it, like, you know, in, in high school and then towards college, I would steal these fishing journals and they would start, as very like rudimentary scientific, like we caught one on a copper john, we caught two on a blah, blah, blah. And so that evolved into more stories. So then I'd be talking about, you know, the, cause I grew up in the Ozarks in Missouri. So I'd talk about the, the skeleton trees in a Missouri winter, just crackling in the wind. They're looking like a dead army, just washing me as I'm the only one, me and the crows out on this frozen landscape catching wild blue urban trout. So, that evolved into this was kind of right around when Instagram was coming out too. And you know what they say, pictures worth a thousand words, right? Yep. So I flex on everybody with my three inch fish and say, yeah, on the fly, you know, it, <laughs> it was a cool community on, on like the social media platform where you'd see these, like, I don't know, rock star hippie vagabond folks, just like long beards or these cool chicks out there. You're like, Whoa, I love your sunglasses and your hat. And you're doing this thing that I love, but on such a different scale. And you'd like, I felt so pulled towards this community. So this, you know, through journaling and then through Instagram and this like community, it was always something that I saw on, on YouTube. You know, you'd have these various fishing channels, these various fly fishing channels. And I mean, I don't watch much TV. I, don't watch much YouTube these days, but growing up, that's all I watched was YouTube. And so, um, you know, some common names in in the outdoor and in like fishing industry, like the Guggen squad, you know, those fellows. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. So like I got, I saw their progression. I saw what they did on YouTube Yep. and in a lot of ways I'm like, well, this is, this isn't too far. I mean, obviously, you know, some of the cringy, clickbaity stuff sucks, but what I saw was a lot of them just capturing memories. A lot of their early stuff was just, was really, really cool. I mean, I I still like some of the stuff they do now, but, but, but before, I don't know, it it didn't take on the clickbait thing for a while. Yeah. And and Hey, that's the game, you know, unfortunately that's That's the game. I try and avoid that as most as possible because, uh, and I guess, uh, sorry, again, listeners, so sorry. I'm trying to get to my point. Um, but, uh, the, the, the point is capturing memories. So when I graduated college, university of Kansas, shout out all my Jayhawks. Um, I got moved out to Idaho when I was in Idaho. Again, I was, I was really following hard with the Instagram. I was falling off on the journals. Like I just could never keep up because the adventures would just keep coming. And each one was just crazier than the last. But, Towards the end of my summer, um, I had a rather unpleasant interaction with a bear. Um, I can't say I was attacked because I don't have a scratch on me, but I had to use my bear spray. It charged me twice. It got, you know, literally feet away from me. And and that was kind of a, oh dude, in a morbid sense, kind of a, like a 
they get very close brush with death. And so, you know, the way those things kind of, uh, it takes a while for them to ruminate and, and, and settle. And this is always something that I wanted to do. I always wanted to tell stories and always wanted to like capture the moment of what this life, this weird thing that I was doing like meant to me. And that was kind of a, like a touchstone moment, I would say where when I went to Wisconsin, when my company moved me at the end of my year uh, in Idaho, I had a little bit extra change in the pocket. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I, I had a girlfriend at the time and she was very encouraging. Like, just do it. Who cares? It was always something I was kind of playing around with because the initial investment was, you know, a computer to edit on a camera to, to lug around a tripod, um, editing like software. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, a couple grand worth of initial investment and then zero experience. So there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah. So I, when I was in Wisconsin, that's when I, I bought the camera, the tripod, everything and started to, to film. And at first it was very, I would say linear where it was just like, this is where I'm at. I'm at a stream. This is what I'm doing. I'm fly fishing. This is a fish. Look at this fish. And, and like that, but now, you know, it's, it, it's starting to evolve. And I, as I'm taking strides and grabbing different tools and observing, you know, other channels and the way they do things. Cause I, like I said, I have zero experience with multimedia or um, editing post marketing, all that stuff. I'm a goon. My, I, I, if I could point to the viewers, I would show them my knuckles and say, look at that. They just scabbed over and healed from dragging my knuckles on the ground for 20 some odd years of my life because <laughs> I, I, just, I don't know anything when it comes to this stuff, you know? So it's, uh, I would say it's now starting to take more of a storytelling element. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do more than just, you know, cut and dry. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm using. Um, and yeah, I, the way that I always frame it is that I want to capture these memories. That's number one. That's always been number one. That's, that's like as selfish as that may sound to, especially anybody who, who watches file season and enjoys it. It's weird to say, I'm doing it for myself because I look back at these memories and it's so crazy to me. Memory is this weird thing, man. So the, the way I, I describe these videos to people, it's like, okay, I've been, I've been gone away, long trips, long travels, and I'm, I'm pulling into my drive, going to the folks house. And I, I step into the living room and I can, oh my gosh, what does that smell? I can smell mom's cooking something in the kitchen something I haven't had in so very long, but I, I, gosh darn it, it's like my favorite meal. Now, I'm not sitting there at the dinner table with my family eating that meal, but I can smell it and I'm just one room away. That's what these videos do for me. They're, the, they're like these just amazing nostalgia, like feeling, it, it, I almost have imposter syndrome. So some of these Western adventures that I've done, I look at the guy in that video, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? No way he's doing this. Like it's so, I'm like, it's hard for me to fathom, you know, the, the, these crazy things that I did. And, ah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, but that, that kind of, uh, answer your question. I feel like I went on a tangent. There. No, man, that's great. That is fantastic. I, uh, I've recently started filming some of my stuff. Um, and I guess about two years ago I started filming my turkey hunts and I haven't, yeah, uh, I haven't started uploading anything to YouTube and that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm really, working on the craft, right. Of getting the right angle of figuring out my equipment of learning how to edit and, 
you know, yeah. all of that. And there's nothing wrong in my opinion with really focusing in on like the podcast, like I'm doing right now. And then, Hey, if I've got a bank of, of material for, you know, three Turkey seasons at this point, uh, even better when I get started, right? Like I've got lots of content. You can't, uh, you can't catch and release, yeah. you can't catch and release turkeys and deer. Um, so, you know, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole thing. You get one and you're done. Um, but, yeah. but man, the, that piece about the memories is, um, it's huge. And, and that's, that's really why I've started doing it as well. Not so much from the content perspective, but like, man, I can go back and I can pull up, you know, my hunt from this past spring or, you know, my hunt from Monday of this week, that was just epic and fantastic. And I can show my kids and I can show my friends and I can, I can relive it all right there in the moment. And like you said, it just takes me back. It absolutely yeah. takes me back. And man, I've been using, um, so I've got a big camera that I use and then I've got some point of view stuff that I'm using, uh, from Tacticam right now. And that has changed like splicing those things together for me, you know, big camera footage with my Tacticam footage and that kind of stuff has just transformed the whole thing because I go from seeing the memory to remembering looking down the gun barrel and oh, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. it's just, man, it's fantastic. I have, I have absolutely loved it. So yeah, I totally get it. But so man, man, it's, it's evolved, right? Like you said, from, from very frank, like here's where I am, here's what I'm doing. Here's the fish I caught into telling the story. So I'm curious to learn a bit and we hadn't really talked about this, but I'm curious to learn something about, um, that storytelling aspect, like what's important to you or has that just become, is that just coming out of you at this point? Or is it something that you're conscious of while you're out there when you're filming? Like I'm trying to tell this story. You know, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it always, I, I always find myself, you know, re rewinding the clock back to, uh, my, my grandparents' house. So when I was growing up, my, my parents, they moved next door to my grandparents to, to kind of, you know, help them as they, they age and then eventually pass away. But, you know, at the time, like my sister and I were like, what the heck? Like, we don't want to live next to grandma and grandpa. And as this was, of course, as we were young kids, but as, you know, adolescents, teens, and then, you know, into a young adult life, every single time, I would come home, be it a warm water adventure, slugging around on the Mississippi Delta or not Delta, the floodplain, excuse me, or like in the Blue Ribbon Circuit, anywhere in the Missouri Ozarks, I would always find myself back eating a, co a frozen Costco cookie that grandma brought over and, and telling my grandpa about these adventures. And mm. I think he was the influence because you know, my parents, they heard enough of me. They, they didn't give a, a hoot about what I, you know, they were like, yeah, whatever, Mike, you know, that's fine. <laughs> or like my friends at school, they didn't get it. You, like kind of like what you're saying with the turkey hunt. Like when your kiddos see the footage of those wildflowers, they're like, oh my gosh, we smelt those. I know what those smell like. Or when they see the sun hitting the trees, they're like, oh, that warmth, I can feel that off of a cold morning. Like my grandpa he would listen and he would listen to the details and you, he, he'd get this twinkle in his eye, man. And he would just listen and just smile ear to ear. And every time I come home, I'd add a little bit more. I try and be more descriptive because I could, I, I almost felt like I was taken in there with me. And so, yeah, I, I've always been a big storyteller and, and 
God, to the detriment of ex-girlfriends and old roommates. They're like, dude, we do not care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. now I just give them out unsolicited on YouTube. I'm just like, yeah, listen to my story. <laughs> yeah, man. So how has your, uh, how has your gear changed over the years? I mean, one of the things you mentioned that, um, I think keeps a lot of people from doing it is, is that huge investment up front, right? Like it's, Yes. It's not cheap, man, to start filming or to start podcasting. I mean, if you want to do it well and you want to have good audio quality, good video quality, it's going to cost you some money. So, like, how has that changed for you over the years? Or or are you pretty much, were you kind of a one and done? Like, I bought what I needed up front, made the investment, and now I'm, now I'm coasting with that? Or has your setup uh, changed a lot? It's, it's, it's changed incrementally. So, um, you know, I didn't go out and buy the nicest, you know, Sony XD, whatever the heck. I mean, my, I would say my, my camera is a rep, my quote unquote big camera is a relatively reasonable, reasonably cost, you know, efficient, effective, but I think I'm on camera number five. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. And how many years have you been yeah, doing it? Uh, I think we're just at two. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues when it comes to, you know, trying to lug a camera into crazy backcountry situations or, you know, streamside banks or, you know, in the rain and the cold snow, there's a lot of risk that comes with that. Um, so the, the, obviously a warranty is very helpful, but you I mean, you're still, you know, you're still plugging out quite a bit of money to get that back from the manufacturer, get it fixed, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not free. So slowly but surely I've kept the same camera body. Um, I've upgraded the lens, uh, tripods upgraded. It's just, it's, it's very slow. And I, I've learned to be flexible with what I have. And, and as I've gotten more comfortable with my, you could consider them tools in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm more efficient with them. So, you know, I'll even, and to, to anyone out there listening who might be interested in this, all you need is a GoPro and an iPhone. I mean, you can get so far filming wise with a GoPro and an iPhone. People do it all over the place. Audio quality, it's not going to be the best, but if you just want to get out there and start, I mean, the, the barriers to entry in this day and age are relatively low. Yeah. And I, I would say people's tolerance for quality is also pretty, uh, not low, but it, it's accepting. I would say it's very accepting. So, of course, my content is not going to be anywhere near some of these these big boys in the fly fishing industry. I, I don't I don't have those kind of resources or camera crews or whatever. But I think a lot of my audience understands because it's it's like on a personal level. Like I'm carrying a tripod. I'm you know dropping the tripod. I'm doing all this work. So yeah, if there's a little bad audio, they understand. And if there's you know maybe some nicked shots, it's like well, <laughs> sorry guys, I went out of frame. I don't know. So. It, it has changed in a sense and I, I've gotten more comfortable like on the backside if we're looking at the, like the, the editing side using um, like more audio databases to, to grab songs and, and sounds as well as like plugins for different features and, and really flexing what I have with um, I think I use Final Cut Pro um, I know there's like Adobe Premiere there's, there's a couple different editing ones out there but just getting familiar with the craft or with, with the tools and then using them to mold. So 
Yeah, circling back, I don't think it's changed all that much because I'm still running the GoPro and I'm still running the camera. The lens is the only major upgrade that I've made, I would say. But uh, many different iterations because, yeah, like I said, five cameras later, I'm really <laughs> running through. Yeah, Knock man. on wood, though, I've, I've done pretty well. It's been, it's been a while since I've dunked the camera. So. Yeah, I remember watching one of your videos and the thing just went in the creek, man. I was like, oh, yeah. this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> this is not yeah. good. Well, it happened. Um, yeah, for sure. I, you know, you mentioned something there with, the, uh, with the, the quality, and I think that probably scares a lot of folks away because um, they're, they're, they're afraid of, of quality issues or sound quality issues or whatever. And I, I think that almost adds an element of uh, it, it's, it's endearing for people. Like when they, like it, it, it is real life. You know, when you see the highly, you know, just like the cinematic fly fishing films or something like that, they're great and they're beautiful, but there's something started. Yeah. But, but there's (laughs) something about seeing a, just a guy's adventures who you can tell he's like out there by himself and he's cranking it out. And like, you know, maybe this one, the horizon in the, in the, in the shot is a little off and you can tell, but there's, I don't know. It's just, for me, I'm in the moment more when it's not the yeah. cinematic look. No, I, I could not agree more. And I feel like sometimes those overproduced uh, films, they they set the bar way too high with this weird sport that we do with fly fishing, where they're like, in southern Patagonia, fishing for the biggest brown trout that ever existed. And it's like 4K. You can like touch the damn fish to the TV, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like and National like Geographic. Right, but that's not how it is. It's, it's going to your local pond and just banging up on panfish or, you know, going and catching carp out of the Mississippi. Like, there's so many different avenues. And, and I, I don't know. That's... uh. That's what I, I hope to kind of show on my side of the, the content. Like I do some pretty crazy stuff, but it's not anything that it, it's, it's anything anyone can do. I should say like it's, if I can do it, anyone can, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure that I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps if you're a goober like me and you forget to set the correct time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. 
You can use the code Wisconsin at checkout for 20% off of any plan. That's 20% off of any plan. Just use the code Wisconsin. Now let's get back to the show. When it, most of what I see from you is, you know, you out fly fishing for trout. Are you pursuing a lot of other species as well? Well, here's the thing is back in the day um, when I, you know, growing up in Missouri and then I went to school in Kansas for four years. So there wasn't a whole lot of trout. It was a, it was a treat to get the car, like begging my parents to get the car because most of the trout streams in Missouri are, are more south. So it's like an hour, hour and a half, maybe two drives to, you know, these streams. So it wasn't a luxury. Like we didn't have the money to blow on, you know, me going every weekend and fishing. So yeah. a lot of the local spots, I, I would just hammer. I mean, to a point of insanity, um, like all the dikes running off of the, of the Missouri and the Mississippi, a lot of warm water ponds, especially in Kansas. I mean, I was a warm water fiend. Anything that swam was not safe. Bass, bluegill, crappie. <laughs> I mean, we're talking from catfish to grass carp. I mean, I was all over it. Wipers. I, I was, I was a certified warm water junkie, but in my, in my travels, I don't know. That's like, I just, I love trout fishing. So when I was in Idaho, like, okay, it'd be silly for me to go bass fishing there. And then when I moved to Wisconsin, this is where I, d- I did mess up because the warm water fly fishing in Wisconsin is insane. The smallies on the Wisconsin river I hear are next level. All the pike and the lake chains in Madison are crazy and musky too. Like I messed up there cause I only fished there for <laughs> trout. And then, yeah, I moved down to New Mexico and, and down in New Mexico. I mean, there, there are, is some warm water opportunity, but. I, I mean, I did a lot of playing in New Mexico and Southern Colorado, and that's just, again, kind of all trout. So, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I grew up, um, I grew up right on, not far from the coast in Alabama and okay. uh, actually grew up doing a lot of, of fishing. We did a lot of inshore. Then we graduated, I guess you could say to uh, a lot of offshore fishing and you know, oh, wow. you're, you're pulling in huge red snapper and amberjack and you're catching cobia and king mackerel and all these just you know, feel like they're going to break your rod in half, make your reel scream kind of kind yeah, of yeah. fish. But man, there's something about chasing trout on a fly. I think I would rather have an afternoon catching 10 to 14 inch browns on the fly than I would pull up a red snapper from the depths. It is a weird siren song, and I don't quite understand it. But I, I, I dive headfirst into the rocks every time. I just, I, I, there's something about it, man. I agree. It's, um, I don't know if sporting would be the right word, but it's, it, it, there is just something so magical about like, oh my gosh, is that fish rising? Oh my gosh, is it going for my fly? Oh my gosh, it just ate my fly. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, man. There's, there's some kind of a lure there. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, and like you, you alluded to this earlier. There's, there's this whole romantic side to it, as well. Oh um, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how many books I've read on just the, the, just great literature surrounding this weird thing. And I mean, of course, I mean everybody knows the river runs through it. I mean, that's the, the best piece of cinema this side of uh, the <laughs> 2000s or whatever, or the 1990s, whatever, whenever it came out, man, that oh, gets me every time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And for me, um, you know, I, I've I've caught fish on the fly in the Blue Ridge Mountains down in Georgia, and I've okay. fished here uh, in the Driftless. And man, there is something 
really, really special about chasing browns in a cow pasture as cows watch you. And I don't know, you know why that I don't is. Understand. What's that? The, how low key the driftless is, and I'm sure the 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 Wisconsin folk here listening are like, "Yo, chill, keep it down, don't <laughs> tell anybody." <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the 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 opportunity in the driftless region is something that blows my mind because this is the best, in my opinion, this is the best fishing this side of the Rockies. East of the Rockies, it does not get much better than the driftless region. Quality, quantity, access. And just like overall fish health, I mean, you know, we could get in the weeds about non-native trout, you know, kind of messing things up, but that's a whole different conservation side of things. But I mean, it is insane because I, I went down to Georgia and I can't say that I was all too impressed. I've been to Missouri, you know, they're my home waters. So I, I do feel more of like a, like a kindred, you know, sense there. New Mexico, I mean, you're going to find fish, but it's a grind. Colorado can be that same way, but like I always feel like you can just jump in and find fish anywhere in the driftless. And nice fish too. Yeah. Like nice quality fish. Yeah, for sure. I I um so my taste of fly fishing in in Georgia was the first time that I'd pursued trout with on the fly. And um I fished on a private stream. Um, Ooh, the Georgia Super Stalkers. Man, it was insane. <laughs> It, yeah, was, dude. it was absolutely insane. But it, as I think back and I look back at that trip and I look back at the pictures and man, I, I, I go right back and it was, you know, it was amazing, right? Like I, I got hooked there, but at the yeah. same time, it, it's just not as special to me as some of these trips that I've made. Um, oh yeah. You know, out into the driftless, uh, fishing around like Viroqua and that kind of stuff. Like, it's just a oh, different yeah. thing here. Even though the fish were not the size of the ones I was hauling in in Georgia, I mean these are, you know, obviously yeah. basically <laughs> farmed fish in a in a stream. Um, Big old boys. Yeah, my goodness. But <laughs> but there's something so special about fishing here in the Driftless. Is it what you've traveled all over, man? I, and I gotta I gotta press you on this point a little bit. Uh, yeah. Where is your favorite spot? Like if I, if I told you I, you can fish one place for trout for the rest of your life, yeah. What region is it going to be? Now, man, it, this is such a tough question. It, it's like asking you know a big family which is, which kid's your favorite. It's like what? I can't <laughs> say that. Um, and and this is, I, I think this might this would probably change as I'm uh, at different phases of my life, but right now. In my physical condition, um, my lack of, of like real ties to anything, it would have to be the West. And yeah. like West is a kind of a, a, a pejorative Idaho would be my, my place. The, um, it, it's just, it's, it's so hard to begin to articulate the true wild that you feel out there because yeah, I mean, it was like four years ago, but I, I still can harken back to some of these memories of just feeling truly alone in a scape that is just all stricken. Like it's it's so hard to explain. But then the the double edged sword is that most of the time, you, you know, in the, in the winter, you you're tough luck, Chuck. If you're out, you're out of luck. You're not going to be able to do anything until like July. That's yep. the problem is you know, as spring rolls around, great, good, getting warm, but then snow melt hits. 
and then all the rivers are blown out. So it's a, it's a short but beautiful like cacophony of, of outdoor recreation in, in like a very yeah, small period of time, but it's, it's like nothing else, man. It is, it, it, it I don't know. It, it's hard to explain it, it. The, the quantity and quality of fish out there is different. The size of water is different. The variability in water is very different too. I would say a lot of what the driftless is, is if you've seen one, you've seen pretty much all, they're very similar. I, you know, and I don't want to generalize because there's some that are a little bit different, but um, the riffle run pool pattern you're going to find in the driftless is going to be the same on the Wisconsin side, Iowa side, Minnesota side. Yep. But in, in the West, I mean, you could be fishing these giant waters to these tiny creeks, to these massive lakes, to these small ponds tucked away in the mountains for all different species, all different types. I mean, it's, and then, and this may, may be also kind of weird, but the, the real sense of risk and the real sense of danger. Um, again, I'm a young man with no ties. So I like to chase that dragon and the further, the better, the harder, the better grizzly bears. Great. Black bears, bring it on. So knock on wood, of course, I'm probably going to get eaten. (laughs) But you know, it's when you finish that adventure, you're knocking on the doors of Valhalla and you're like, boys, I've arrived. I'm here. Yeah. I've done something. I can <laughs> feel it. I, I tested myself against the wilderness and I came back with stories to tell and, and virtual fish in my creel. I can feed the village kind of thing. It's, it's a, I don't know, it really taps into that, that those old, uh, like reptilian, uh, <laughs> instincts. I don't know. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that difference between fishing, I guess just the size of the water out West yeah. as compared to here. Cause all of my trout fishing has been done in the East. And so the, I haven't had a chance to fish like the Tacoa in Georgia or, you know, some of those, Ooh, that's a big river. It yeah, is. Yeah. It is. And you can fish it for trout. Uh, I actually, I caught one rainbow trout out of the Tacoa. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you uh, drift like, boat or what? No, no. I waded in, man. I, oh man, I fell into, it was cold as hell. Uh, like, I think it was like December. It was terrible, but it oh. was. It was, it was very funny. It was nice down there. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but, uh, yeah, one rainbow trout at some access point. I was like, I'll go here. And then boom, saved my day. Dude, that's awesome. Tell, tell me a bit about the difference between fishing some of that bigger water and fishing yes. what you fish here. Like, like what is, I don't know how you approach it totally different. I would imagine. So what does that look like? Yeah. And this is coming from purely my wave fishing experience. I don't drift boat much. Um, my, my two legs get me where I need to go most of the time. So, um, especially in like the backcountry situations, you're not lugging a boat back there. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, it's like a math problem. So when you're in the driftless, you have a, a pretty simple problem to solve. You have one riffle, one run and one pool. It's all flowing in a, you know, maybe five to 10, maybe 15 foot stretch. I mean, some, some, of these streams get wide, but most of the time you can grab on either side and, and grab the foliage on the bank. So you, your, your drifts are a lot cleaner because you're only dealing with one current seam. Yep. You're only dealing with one. And I, again, I'm making massive generalizations here, but, but for the most part, it's pretty simple as far as, as giving a good presentation. But in these big Western waters, 
I mean, you could be looking at a, a 20, 30 foot across like bank from, from bank to bank and then expanse of like hundreds of miles of like, oh where the hell are the fish? And wow. there's, there is some migration in the fish in the, in the driftless region. Like there, it, it's been known that some of the bigger trout, the bigger brown trout, especially they'll drop into these bigger, um, watersheds. So like the main section of the Kickapoo or the upper, the, or not the upper, excuse me, just like the Wisconsin. So all the, those driftless trout streams that dump into them, they'll see some migration back and forth, but not, not, not a lot. And most of the time, if there's fish in a pool, they're not going to move too terribly much throughout the year. Obviously they'll go further up in the watershed as it gets warmer. But, but again, you're not really dealing with like massive migrations, but out, out West, for example, bull trout, bull trout will, they'll run hundreds of miles up into these headwater streams. And so you have, you have like weeks to catch them in certain sections. Otherwise they're not there. Same thing with the cutthroat. Mm. They'll come up for spawning runs and then they'll either drop back into like a reservoir or a main section of river, or they'll go higher up into these, you know, teeny trickles. So there, there, there's a lot of variability in where the fish species themselves are going to be, but then also just trying to pick apart structures so hard because there, it's a, there's just so much. And then on top of that, trying to manage drift when there's like four or five different current teams, you know, you have a, an eddy that's, you know, surrounded by three massive, you know, rushing boulders. It's like trying to get a cast to approach, mending it correctly. It just, it is a lot. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a math problem with more variables, I guess I should say. And, and it's as, as dumb as, as this may sound, it just, it takes time on the water to kind of figure it out and piece it together. Yeah. Cause me talking about this on a podcast will never truly encapsulate what that looks like. And of course, I mean, you can find small streams that break down those variables a little bit more and maybe resemble closer to what you fish in the driftless. So it's not impossible to find trout and mountain streams. Um, but these just, these bigger waters, man, they, they offer a, a whole host of other issues and not issues problems to solve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here in the driftless, you're pretty much chasing Browns. We've got some rookies. Mm-hmm. We've got some, we've got some rainbows and a couple streams. Um, out there though, you've got a wider expanse. Like what all are you chasing out West? Sure. So specifically in Idaho. So I'll be on the, the East side um, for a month and a half and on the West side for a month and a half. So on the East side, there's so many different um, subspecies of cutthroat. So you have, the Yellowstone cutthroat, the fine spot cutthroat. Um, I believe you can find some West Slope cutthroat over there, but then they have non-native browns, non-native rainbows, non-native rookies. Um, so those, those are all over the place and you can find them in every mountain drainage mixed in with these um, uh, different cutthroat species. But then when I go to the West side, so in Idaho and more central Idaho, um, it has access to the ocean, uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the Snake River dams and some of these um, hydroelectric, uh, basically fish barriers. That again, I don't want to get too controversial here. I do. Anyway, it. there is <laughs> <laughs> there, there. There could be some argument that they're not exactly efficient anymore, and they don't really need to be there, and they're put up, you know, without. And it's tough because it's like when you put them up at the time, you didn't realize the repercussions, but 
I guess my point is that um, like the snake drains into the Columbia and, and all the, you know, Columbia goes back to, gosh, I hope I'm right there. Anyway, there's access to the ocean. So you will get salmon, steelhead, bull trout, um, cutties. I mean, you'll have all these different fish migrating up. So when I was in Idaho, I was in central Idaho. If listeners, you can imagine where Idaho is on the map. It is like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like a couple Wisconsin's away, like width-wise away from the ocean. I was in central Idaho and I saw salmon. Like that's how crazy some of these journeys wow. that they make are. I mean, it was incredible. I was in the middle. I was I, as close to the top of the watershed as you could get. And there was a king salmon sitting right there. I mean, it was beat to hell. I mean, it was amazing to think of this fish's journey from spawning in this upper you know, fork of a main section of river and then running all the way down through all the dams out to the ocean, pumping dumbbells, eating all the food out there, getting jacked and then coming all the way back. It's just, it's crazy. And, and so, yeah, there, there's so many different species. There's so many different ways to target them. Uh, truth be told, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to do out there is to hike to high elevation um, ponds or lakes and, and fish for the, 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 the various trout species that live up there. So you'll get like, um, back in the day, they just, bucket biology was a thing. So they were just throwing fish in everywhere. Some cutthroat, some rainbows, you got some brooks. And not a whole lot of browns up there. Um, but catching these hybrid species of cutbows and various subspecies of, of uh, cutthroat, just in these crystal clear, just glass ponds out in the middle of nowhere, like all you can hear is the, 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 the far off songbirds and the buzz of the life around. And then you just see this cruising fish. It, it is so much fun. And the thing about those like high elevation lakes is that they don't have a very long growing season. So when they see something, they usually eat it, which is also nice <laughs> to be angler. So. Yeah, man. Wow. So man, you're fishing, uh, it's not a lazy man's fishing. It, it seems like from what I can see, it's not a lazy yeah. man's fishing, whether you're out West or even if you're just here in the drift list, like it look, you're hiking, man. Yeah. You're, you're getting um, into I, some spots. Well, and like I was saying earlier, my, uh, day in the life of Mike, um, the, the, my working out is, a it is a kind of a cornerstone of, of my day. Like I make sure to get it in every single day because I'm young. I, my niche is go further, stay longer. I have that ability. You know, I did a lot of athletics in, 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 or in, in high school and then you know, intramural stuff in college, you know, pumping weights with the bros. But this um, sport, this activity, this thing has honed in my, I don't know, my, my desires and my, my motivation to work out because I've put myself in some very, very hairy situations where if I were to maybe be in less shape or maybe I didn't run those hills or I didn't, you know, like pack weight or rough, I I would be in serious trouble. So to do what I want, I need to be in good shape. Um, And and it just kind of, it goes very much hand in hand. Like I said, with that carrot, that motivation what's pushing me because I've seen it before. I know what I'm getting into and I know, you know, what I need to do. So, yeah, kettlebells and a heavy backpack, running hills, running mountains. That's that's what I do. Yeah, um, again, kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. So, how much of your how much of your um, 
I guess, pushing yourself when it comes to, to just looking for trout, right? Like you're not stopping right there next to the access point. How much no. of your pushing yourself has to do with just the value that comes with the discomfort and the pushing yourself and how much of it has to do with just getting away from some of the fishing pressure? I would say it's about fitty fitty. Um, the, that, that Valhalla feeling of coming off the mountain and being like, I did it. I'm the man that only comes from a, uh, a 12 mile round trip grinder for a, you know, a, 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 an eight hour chance to catch some random fish in the middle of nowhere to get out off that mountain and come back. But again, like you said, the reason I'm going that far is because I know nobody else is dumb enough or in shape enough to do the same. So, um, it, it, again, it's my niche. I want to get away from people and, and not to say that I don't have issue being around people. I don't, but when people complain about, um, spots being too crowded or, you know, spots being, uh, quote unquote spot burned. My philosophy is I dare you to follow me. I would love for you to be, uh, my, my newest partner in this misery business and, and come join me on this, this hell that I'm putting myself through. So it adds to the solitude, but then it also adds to the satisfaction if, and when you get out, I mean, it, it just, it makes, even if it's just, Oh my, I, can I tell you a quick story? This is like perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I did a 16 mile trip. I was down in the Gila, so way south in New Mexico. You could throw a rock and hit the New Mexico, or excuse me, hit the Mexico border. I hiked in 16, round trip, 16 miles to cast once at one Rio Grande cutthroat in one pool. And then I had to turn around and go home. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was going to be out of sunlight. Yeah. I hiked in because you know, when you're, when you're out and that, and this is why I train because when I'm out there and my, my map says six miles to fish, I'm like, okay, cool. I get to six miles and I'm like, Whoa, I'm toasted. But then I have to go another two because there was a fish barrier and I like, there's a waterfall and I'm like, there's no fish getting down or excuse me above that. So I, I have to keep hiking downstream. And so, you know, add another two onto that. Uh, you know, midday, I see one fish. Oh my gosh, a bow and arrow cast into this willow choke hellhole, man. It was crazy. But getting off that mountain that night, I mean, I, w- I was just like electric. And the, like, I felt like just full Super Saiyan mode. I was like, I am, <laughs> I am that guy. I did it. All for one silly fish. And you, you take that out and you look at it and you're like, you are so dumb. You could have just gone to the nearest access point on whatever river close to home and, and cause just the same. But that story that, that being able to do that is, is so alluring to me. It's, it, that's the dragon I'm talking about. Like, that's what I want to chase. And to do that, I got to be in shape and, and yeah, to do that, I need to get away from the easy access and to do that. Like, yeah, you got to suffer. You got to grind. I can't tell you all the scars that I have from the thorn bushes I ran through or the cactus I ran into on the way down there, but it makes it all worth it. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. You, you you just like have so many more colors to paint the picture with. If yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, that that fitness piece has been one that has been confronting me more and more of the last couple of years as I get into like my mid thirties here, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, I enjoy pushing myself, but I've but I found that there are times, whether it's on a trout stream, whether it's chasing turkeys around, whether it's deer hunting where I make decisions based on 
my capacity or what I, what I feel like I can do or what I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm up for doing or what I want to do rather than making the decision. That's like, Hey, this is the place that I need to be to catch a fish or kill a deer or kill a Turkey. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I, I think this kind of gets my goat because I think there's a, a, uh, like in our in this sport, there is an over like it, it, I feel like the you know the quote unquote trout bum or the the old guy in tweed on the water like what are they doing? They're drinking beer. They're sitting in the boat. They're just kind of casually waiting at an easy access spot. Like it, 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 it the the fitness form of this isn't really highlighted. Yeah, and I think especially in the hunting world, I think they do a much better job of. You know, figures like um, Cam Haynes or Remy Warren, like those dudes are bad, bad men. They are constantly pushing. And I, I, I take a page out of their book. I look at what they do and I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I, I want to do that. And it, it does make such a difference. Even just, you know, your day pack. It, you do a hard workout all week and that day pack certainly doesn't feel as, as bad. My shoulders can go a little bit further. I can you know, my, my lower back isn't, you know, cramping up because I'm walking up this stream and don't get me wrong. There's nothing, you know, there's no issue with drinking beer or, you know, going back to deer camp and, you know, chalking up with the boys, eating all the chili in the world. But the success, I just think it's a different thing. Like if you're, you're looking at this thing as a like recreation that I do every now and again, or if it's something you are truly obsessed with and it's like, I want to be the best at this when I have the time, because like you said, families, jobs, like weekend warriors, like you and me, it's tough to get out there. And when, when you want to be out there, you want to perform to your best. So that fitness, it, it's just, it's another feather in your cap to, to be out there and to, to go yeah, further, stay longer. Yeah. Do you, have you heard of a guy, his name's Johnny Utah Mulligan, John Mulligan in the hunting space? Uh, I have not, you know, I'm, I'm fairly green with, with the hunting world. What I usually my, my influence there is, um, hunters on Joe Rogan or, um, anyone on meat eater. I love meat eater. So I I don't know. Have they been on, has he been on there at all? Uh, no, he, he hasn't actually, he, he just, um, just got on with under armor as an under armor athlete this year that this year. And I had him on the podcast the other day, that episode hasn't dropped yet, but, um, man, he is all about the fitness side of things and do between him between talking with him and talking with you, I'm, I'm feeling pretty jacked up right now. Like I probably should just stop yeah, this man. episode right now and go work out. Yes, let's do it. I love it. <laughs> man, <laughs> but, you... but I think for, for a lot of, um, younger folk they're they're I mean, were you an athlete in high school? Yes, I was. Yep. So we, we have this weird, um, like identity crisis as you know, if you, if you do decide to go to college, or, you know, you graduate high school, you do decide to go to college. There's this weird identity crisis where you, you have these, these, I would say pretty regimented things in your mind. Like, well, you go to practice, you go run, you work out, you do weights in the summertime for next season. I think it could be easily fit into that groove for hunting, for fishing and using that, that go further, stay longer as your motivation, as your like, this is what's getting me up today to go on this run. And this is what's going to get me out there to, to lift weights. Like it's there. Like the, 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 the software is already like, it's already downloaded. You just got to open it up again and start yeah. using it. And, and yeah, 
Yeah, man, that's that's good stuff. I, I uh, so I've had different. Uh, yeah, you do have that identity crisis, right? You, when and you know, at, at my stage of life, like when I do work out. I'm like no good for a week afterwards because I absolutely just destroy myself. You know yeah. what I mean? And it just, it makes oh, it yeah. tough. But my wife is like, you know, why do you, why do you do that to yourself? Like, why don't you ease into it? I'm like, I don't know. It's like, I, I open the box and I can't stop the, I can't stop it once things are going. Oh yeah. You know, it's you like the monster out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I tap back into, like you said, like this very regimented, like, okay, I'm here to work out. Like, this is what I do to, yeah. to get myself, um, absolutely obliterated. Uh, then I regret it for a week or so. And, uh, but man, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit before we wrap things up here and, and talk specifically yeah. about Driftless. Like, I, I mean, you've got a ton yeah. of experience here and most of our listeners are going to be fishing the Driftless. Like, do you have any tips or like favorite flies or like, you know, advice that you'd give a guy that, um, that is maybe thinking about fishing the Driftless? We've got a lot of, and there's nothing wrong with it. We've got a lot of guys who prefer to kind of go out and and do the whole bait caster thing or the the whole spinning rod thing um, yeah. here in the driftless and that and that's great and that's fine but I think a lot of people are intrigued by the thought of of getting into fly fishing but there's a it feels like there is a pretty high barrier to entry into the sport yes but I feel like for guys here being in the driftless. I don't think they realize how close and how, how accessible catching mm -hmm. trout on the fly really is right here around us. Yeah. So any, any advice for folks or things that you'd yes. point us to? So as far as the barrier to entry goes, if you are interested in fly fishing, you don't have a rod, you don't have a reel, you don't have anyone to teach you. YouTube is your best resource. You can learn just about as anything you would ever need to, to, to get out there on the water. And then as far as rods and reels go, Facebook marketplace, thrift shops, all my rods up until like two years ago were like 1980s relics. I was fishing old hand-me-down, like 1970s fiberglass, like I mean, heavy as hell rods. I mean, not glamorous by any means, but it, it's a fly rod. that got me out there. The, the, mm, your, let's just say major brands in the fly fishing world, they want to try and sell you the newest, latest, greatest technology, but there's diminishing returns, in my opinion, with those more expensive rods and these, you know, flashy setups. You don't need that, especially to fish the driftless. So shifting to the driftless itself, if I had to give one piece of advice, I would say be flexible. Be willing to change spots. Be willing to change flies. Fish until you find the fish. Fish until you find what works. Constantly be changing up, and then once you dial it in, I mean, it's 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 bread. It's bread, man. It's and, it, and it's of course easier said than done. But when I'm even even now that I'm very comfortable with the Driftless region, like tonight, I'm gonna go fish uh, just around Decora. I've got a plan A, B, and C. I'm I know these areas. I know there's fish here, but just in case. I'm going to have my maps ready. I'm going to have, you know, a couple different fly setups ready just in case to be flexible and to be as mobile as possible because you don't have to be married to a stream. If the one in this drainage ain't working, Hey, go to the next one. There's going to be fish there too. So I, and, and, and there is merit to spin rods. 
there is merit to bait fishing. It works. It all works. But there, there is yeah, a little bit more satisfaction with fly fishing, and especially this time of year when the fish are very keyed in on terrestrial bugs or hatches like mayflies, caddis. It can be so deadly efficient. Where we're talking, you're going to be pulling like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten fish out of a hole, all on the same fly, not even moving. I mean, they get so dialed in on you know presentations that are more advantageous for fly fishing. So yeah, I think that's and, something that a lot of guys might miss is like I, I've tried the whole spinning rod thing, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't caught a trout here in the driftless on a spinning rod. I'm just I just have better success on the fly. Yeah. I just catch more fish. And I, I guess. This is the, I guess it's what they're eating. I guess it's presentation and all that wrapped into one, but I just, I just have better luck. Yeah. And, and as far as like waders go, you don't need waders. Get an old pair of Chuck Taylors and some sweatpants or some shorts. Go out there and wet weight. Enjoy the summer heat. I mean, you really don't need much more than a backpack, an old fly rod, a little small box of flies, and you're—I mean, you're good. You're gold. Yeah, man. I, I've always—I—I I joke with people because there, there's that whole thing about match the hatch, and and that was really intimidating nah. for me when I first got into yeah. fly fishing. But dude, I moved up here. I started fishing the driftless, and I went with a buddy of mine a couple of weeks ago named Pierce, and he—he's a guide here locally, and he knows all the water and all that stuff. But man. I like the extent of my fly fishing is that at this time of year, I'll tie on an ant up top and I'll have a dropper with a pink squirrel on it. And I have, I've yet to like be skunked and feel like, Oh, I really need to start changing things up. I need to, I need to throw yeah. something different. You know what I mean? It's just, I know I, what you mean. <laughs> I, I don't know the, the whole match, the hatch, man, you could take it too far. I feel like. Well, these streams are just so nutrient dense. If you, find a rock, flip it over. I mean, you're going to see no end of all sorts of buggy critters underneath. So your nymph doesn't really matter. Your dry fly doesn't really matter because if you go on the side of the bank, there's going to be hoppers, there's going to be ants, beetles, big mayflies. I mean, no end of, of really solid forage for these fish. So yeah, matching the hatch isn't as necessary here out West. It can be a little bit more uh, pertinent, I would say, but out here, man, you just got to you just got to throw them got to throw them out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, man, what's up next for uh for fly all season? Like what's what's coming up for you? We've got all sorts. So, you know, it's it's more than just the the whole YouTube thing. We've got a pretty active Instagram, um a pretty active Discord. That's probably the coolest thing. But, you know, like it's this weird thing where I, I you, you started capturing these memories and then all of a sudden there's a, a secondary effect of an audience and then the audience wants the rep the quote-unquote brand that just kind of spawned out of nowhere so we've got merch down the line we've i think we've got it printed actually here locally in wisconsin um platteville i believe there's nice. a print shop down in platteville that reached out to us to like hey man we'd love to help you out so that, that's really cool so merch is coming um we're going to try and do more podcast work ourselves but yeah the driftless month and then I ship out to Idaho and backpacking all across the West doing crazy adventures. And yeah, just a lot of content, a lot of, uh, memories to capture, man. Very cool. So I, I want to circle back real quick to that whole discord thing. You've got quite a community yeah. that has been built, man. There's a lot of folks oh on my, there. 
It is the coolest thing. I if if there's anyone out there listening, if you're still listening, you're a saint, by the way. Um, but if you're still <laughs> listening, the Discord is a perfect place. It's this. It's the. If you've ever seen the, it's like I, I think it's the Rio Negro and then the the Amazon River. You know where they meet, where it's like one clear river and one really muddy river. Yep. Like the Discord is that line where you have these super experienced individuals that are like so ingrained in fly fishing and you have really new green folk who have maybe just bought a fly rod and they have so many questions. And the discord is a place, no judgment. I mean, with fly tying, with like fly fishing access, adventures, just sharing what you do and what, how you do it. We have people from like Denmark and France, from California to Maine. We have people from the drip, the dripless community in there is actually awesome. Like those boys, they are constantly catching all sorts of fish, but like Missouri, Idaho, like it's so cool to cross pollinate these ideas and everybody learns. And we've, we've got, you know, this, this cool contest that we do fly of the month. So tie up your best fly in the month and then submit it. And then, yeah, we kind of do like a kind of, I don't know, kind of a cool announcement. We shout you out. we we actually had a plaque for this year's winner. It was, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. So, and, dude, you're pushing it. Is it pushing like 700 folks on there? Yeah. Which is insane. Like there's so <laughs> many people on there. It's, it's always, and there's, it's hard for me to keep up anymore. Like I've got to like really keep all my P's and Q's to yeah. Keep up with the, like all the, the chatter that's going on, but it's good. It, it, it's really, really good for new people and everybody's so welcoming. And we, we, we do our best to, Keep it very um, fun. Just keep it light. Um, we have had a couple issues with people being kind of jerks on there, but we've developed, like it started out small. We've got those like core group of guys from again, all over the place that are mods. So even if myself or my buddy Kowalski, he's, he's my partner in, in foul season. Even if he isn't on or I'm not on these guys, these mods, they're trusted individuals. Like we know these guys like friends. It, it's so crazy. And then, yeah, they, they take care of any issues and gosh, I can't tell you how many people have met through the discord and then gone fish and like fish together afterwards. It's so cool. Dude, that's awesome. That's incredible. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So love the content, love everything you're doing. Point folks in the right direction if they want to learn more. Well, um, like I said, the YouTube fly all season. I, I, I think I'm getting big enough to the point where if you type that in, uh, I actually pop up. Oh, and season is S Z N because I'm all, I'm like cute and millennially. So yeah, <laughs> great way to say season. Um, uh, yeah, the Instagram fly underscore all season, but the biggest one is the discord. Now discord is a free app. There's no advertising. There's no nothing. You just sign up like anything else. You know, give them a junk email. And you can pop right in, hop right into the Discord and start talking with all the folks. If there's one thing that I would say to follow, it would be that. So, yeah. Awesome. That's what man. I got. Mike, keep up the good work, man. Really appreciate all you're doing. And uh, appreciate you taking your time today out of your out of your work day to hop on here with me. Are you kidding me? Of course. This is, this is a blast. I'd, I'd do it again. <laughs> Sweet, man. We'll have to do it. We'll have to do it. Thanks for your time. Yep. Sounds good. See ya. And that is all for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Also, big thanks to Mike for coming on. Head over, check out his YouTube channel and see everything that he has got coming out there this summer. And also want to thank all of our sponsors who are making this show possible. Tacticam, Deer Lab, and 
Huntworth. Now, until next time, get outside and do something to enjoy the great resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.